Welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. Riverside Church is a community of believers striving side-by-side for the gospel in the greater New Orleans area. For more information about Riverside Church, go to riversidelife.org. Up the series of Jonah. We've been going through that through about six weeks now, and we will see in the book of Jonah the weeds, the worm, and the wind. It's a plant, I know, but just to keep with the W's, I decided to call it the weeds, the fast growing, fast growing plant, the worm, and the wind. Jonah chapter 4, verses 4 through 11. Last time I was with you, we considered together Jonah's response, and it's very strange and shocking. It's overwhelming. He's, he's like a spoiled child. Nineveh has repented of their sin, and they're seeing great revival from the king to the least of them. All the way down, we are seeing revival and hearts repenting and turning to the Lord, unexpected to Jonah. And so Jonah sits outside of the, the city. We see the Bible say it again in Jonah chapter 4, verses Five, that Jonah sits outside the city hoping that God had made a terrible mistake by not destroying the city. He doesn't like what he sees. Perhaps he's still waiting. Maybe God will deliver to them the consequences of their sin. We, we don't know what Jonah's waiting for, particularly. Perhaps he's just waiting for God to destroy. Maybe God made a mistake. The Bible says that Jonah's exceedingly angry at what has happened. That he thinks this is some sort of evil that God has done. It says in Jonah chapter 4 verse 1, by allowing these wicked Ninevites to repent. Jonah's wrestling with the character of God. He's wrestling with his own heart. I'm hoping this is causing us to wrestle with our own hearts as well. Jonah, the prophet, he knows who God is, at least in knowledge. He knows the character of God. He said that even in his complaint, God, I knew this would be the case because you are gracious and merciful. You're slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. I knew that you would do this. So he knows the character of God, but he does not like seeing the grace of God displayed to sinners. Grace is for me, but not for thee, perhaps could be the slogan of Jonah. And really, that's the big question that we've been asking. This book is asking us, the Lord is asking, I asking us as, the, as a congregation this morning, as, as Riverside Church, do we, do we really love the grace of God? Do we really want to see the grace of God overwhelm a city such as ours that doesn't know its right hand from the left? Now, Jonah's heart is not in line with the heart of God for the nations, but they do agree on some things we saw. Jonah is right. Nineveh is evil and deserves judgment. And God is a God of grace, merciful and relenting from disaster to those who repent. But Jonah doesn't like what he sees. Jonah is having himself a moment, isn't he? Have you ever had yourself a moment? Found yourself perhaps sitting by yourself somewhere in self-pity, self-loathing, overwhelmed with what you see and you don't like what you're seeing. Jonah is having himself in a moment. And Jonah's stuck in this moment. He's still there in Jonah chapter 4 verses 5 through 11. And by the end of it, we don't know how this moment ends. But for now we see, and I want to consider together with you this morning, that Jonah is stuck in a moment. Have you ever felt stuck? Like you're spinning your wheels in the mud and you're just not going anywhere and you don't like what you see and you wish you're someone else, somewhere else, some other place, other time or whatever it might be. Have you ever felt like that before? Have you, have you ever felt like that individually? Perhaps have you felt like that as a church before? Like, like where is this going? I feel like our, our wheels are spinning a little bit and we feel stuck in this moment and this is what Jonah's experiencing and what I want to submit to you this morning. Are you stuck in a moment. So let's see how this moment 
continues. You've already heard as I read the word of God to you this morning, just a, just a second ago, and you can see the absurdity perhaps as you listen to that. As I read Jonah chapter 4 verses 5 through 11 and, and heard the, 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 the events that transpired in this moment in Jonah's life that he's stuck in, you, perhaps you heard the absurdity of it. What we see Jonah is excited about that God provides a weed, this fast-growing plant. Some think perhaps it's a castor oil plant, which uh, some of you that grew up years ago realized that Jonah probably could use a dose of castor oil to relieve himself a little bit. But Jonah's overwhelmed. I think maybe it's like a kudzu plant. Anybody from like central Mississippi? Have you ever seen how fast kudzu grows? Nobody's from central Mississippi. And you've, uh, we got like two people right now. You know how fast kudzu grows, right? That'll take over a billboard overnight going around, high, I mean, Highway 49 through Yazoo City and all through the central Mississippi and the Delta. You've seen this before, perhaps. But whatever this plan is, it makes Jonah exceedingly glad. Do you see that in, in, the, in the Bible? In verse 6, Maybe you can underline that because the writer's bringing that out for us. He made him exceedingly glad. It was just a few verses earlier in Jonah chapter 4, verse 1, that Jonah says that what has happened to Nineveh has made him what? Exceedingly angry. And so it's bringing this to our forefront. It's flashing lights at this saying, look what is making you happy. Look what is filling with you joy, filling you with joy. This, this plant that has sprouted up that you had nothing to do with, that's giving you a little shade from the sun as you're stuck in this moment throwing yourself a pity party. That's what makes you exceedingly, exceedingly glad. And these folks that repented, this is what makes you emphatically angry. 121,000 120,000 plus people receiving the grace of God, eternal life in Christ, in, in the Lord. Which Jesus says, those folks of Nineveh, he says, Jesus says this, will stand up on the last day. This city, you see the absurdity of this, of what gets Jonah excited as he's stuck in this moment. You see the absurdity of it as, as Jonah is overwhelmed that this worm has destroyed the plant, but... He would rather see the people of Nineveh destroyed by their own sin than to see a worm destroy a plant that's giving him a little relief. So do you see the absurdity of this? He would rather people feel the, the hot wind, even hotter than that, eternal punishment forever. He would rather see that than for this little leaf to give him a little shade for a moment. Jonah is stuck in a moment. How is Jonah stuck in the moment? And maybe you can identify some things in your own life as well. What gets us stuck in these moments spinning our wheels is, first of all, we can see that Jonah is stuck on himself. We saw that a little bit last time I was with you, but I want to bring it to the forefront again that Jonah is stuck on himself. He's throwing a pity party. God has been very gracious to us, to him. He's appointed a whale to swallow him up and put him back on mission, to give him a second chance. He's appointed a worm to give him, I mean, a weed in order to give him shade. God has been gracious to him, but Jonah is still stuck on himself throwing a pity party. This self-focus, this is what, here's what I mean. I, I wanted to see this happen, God, and you did not do it. And I'm angry with that because this didn't work out like I thought it would work out. And this has poisoned now his relationship with the Lord, and this is poisoning his outlook on the world, how he should be seeing Nineveh. 
He's forgotten what I think I read to you last time. I don't remember that when God calls Israel, it was not because they were more in number than any other people. It was because the Lord loves them and sets his love upon them. It wasn't that they were mighty and great and glorious. The people of Israel, people like Jonah, people like you and I who are saved by his grace, it's not because of who we are, but it's because of the grace of God. He has forgotten about that. And so Jonah is stuck on himself, on his own outlook. This can happen corporately as well, not just individually. We can sulk about the state of our world our personal preferences, instead of focusing on what God is doing in the world and asking how we can be a part of it. He's stuck in self-pity and he's stuck in self-exaltation. I didn't want to see those people, he said. When I came from my country to tell them this, I didn't want to see those people like this, these dirty, rotten Ninevites. I didn't expect them to be part of the same family of God that I'm part of. Because look at me. I have it all together. Jonah, don't you realize that you probably still smell like whale vomit at this point? How gracious God was to you. Jonah is stuck on himself. And as he's stuck on himself and spinning his wheels in the mud, Jonah is stuck in the present. We hear this at least two ways, don't we? We hear this at least two ways. So he's stuck on himself and he's stuck in his present situation. First, we see that he's stuck in his present situation as he is focusing only on momentary comforts. That is what makes Jonah exceedingly glad. What he is focused on, what he is exceedingly glad about, is simply momentary comforts. The shade of the leaf of a plant, overwhelmed and exceedingly angry when this plant goes away. For Jonah, as he's, overwhel- as he's full of himself, as he's stuck in this moment and experienced this momentary comfort, Jonah has elevated momentary comforts into essential needs. That I would rather die than think about not having shade over my head. Have you experienced that before? The weed pleases Jonah and makes him happy. He takes the providences of God as something that he deserves and is somehow entitled to. I deserve this cool of the shade. I deserve this momentary comfort. I deserve this because of who I am. And so he's stuck in the present. And he can't see what God is doing. And we can do this as individuals. We can do this as a congregation. We think somehow that God owes us something or somehow we deserve things to look just so. And I would imagine that much of our frustrations in life could be traced to attitudes such as this. Things don't go how we thought or how we would hope. And we get angry. And when a little reprieve comes, instead of thanking a sovereign and gracious God, we pitch a fit. He's stuck in this moment. When the comfort is enjoyed, the prophet is exceedingly glad. When the comfort is removed, Jonah again, once again, wishes he were dead. So he's stuck in the present, stuck with momentary comforts, and he's stuck on this momentary affliction. This scorching wind, now that this God appointed this weed and this worm ate the plant, and this wind comes, this scorching east wind, it, it's very hot upon Jonah. That's a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down upon his head. Jonah is angry about this momentary affliction. Now, there's no doubt 
that when you walk through afflictions that are momentary, remember the Bible says all afflictions are momentary, and these momentary afflictions prepare us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So no matter what affliction God might in his providence allow us to endure, they're all accomplishing something. But nevertheless, you know that when you walk through momentary afflictions in the present moment, they can feel like endless nightmares, at least when you are in the middle of the affliction. A dead plant and a hot breeze, those are an extremely difficult providences of God. But life can be very hard in this broken world, and it can be hard to trust sometimes and hard to walk through momentary afflictions. But Jonah is stuck on this affliction, and it feels like an endless nightmare. I remember, I'm going to read a a line from a hymn in a second. Did Did you remember the hymn, Whatever God Ordains is Right? Anybody heard that hymn before? Nobody? Whatever God ordains. I'm going to read the opening stanza. And I remember hearing this hymn like never before. We went up to First Presbyterian Church in Jackson, Mississippi to uh, minister to a congregation member who had, had lost uh, a wife very unexpectedly at a, in a, in a horrible circumstance and things like that. So we went up to the funeral. And so I don't know if you can imagine this, but I'll try to help you imagine this first Presbyterian Jackson is a, a glorious looking sanctuary, just as you would imagine a glorious sanctuary to look. And on the back wall of that sanctuary is one of these like multi-million dollar pipe organs. Have you seen one of those before? Like the kind when the organist like hits, uh, uh, you know, hits a note that like makes the inside of your stomach shake. It just reverberates through the entire building. This like glorious pipe organ. Have you seen one of those before at least? And so there we were in this sanctuary, me and several other people from uh, a church I was previously with. And and as the processional starts and uh, the, the family walks down the aisle and prepares to start the sermon on this great grand organ, boom, they hit it. And they're singing this hymn, whatever God ordains is right. I will be still, whatever he does, and follow where he guideth. He is my God, though dark my road. He holds me that I shall not fall. Wherefore, to him I leave it all. And so you can imagine that's impressed on my mind as I see someone walking through a terrible affliction with tears in their eyes, proclaiming that God is good and I will not fall because he has me. Jonah's missing all that. He's missing all that because he's stuck in the moment. He's stuck in his momentary comforts and not having those comforts, and he's stuck in his momentary afflictions. And God is trying to draw that out of Jonah in his heart as he asks him these questions, doesn't he? He does that to you and I as he's so patient with us. He could have been done with Jonah at this point, right? But he keeps asking him, just like Adam and Eve, where are you? As they flee from the Lord, as they know they have sinned, God still pursues Jonah. So he's stuck on himself. He's stuck in the present. And this is not necessarily in the text. Admittedly, this is more a devotional thought on my part. Perhaps he's stuck in the past. What God had done in his past, how how God had called him as a prophet and and used him in great mighty ways because God did. Perhaps Jonah is stuck on that. And perhaps we can get stuck on that individually and as a church. We rely on past successes for present results. We think of what God did when we were kids or in youth group back in the day or in college, and we have not pursued God since then. And so we miss what God is doing, and we get stuck in moments where it feels like God is dry, and we wonder where where we are dry, and it feels like God is not doing anything. We get overwhelmed with that. 
because we're not pursuing him in the moment. That's Jonah. Perhaps we see fruit from following the Lord and somehow hope that past fruit will once again pop up. But brothers and sisters, as a congregation, as individuals, we have to continue to pursue the Lord week after week and ask God, what have you called Riverside? What have you called me to do this week? We cannot get stuck in the past. We'll continue to spend our wheels. We have to realize that all of this is from God's hand. Four times we hear this in the book. Jonah 1.17, God appointed a whale, a fish. Here in Jonah chapter 4, God appointed a weed. He appointed a worm and he's appointed a wind. Both comforts and afflictions come under the providential care of God. Jonah needs to hear that. We need to hear that. That God appointed all of this that Jonah is walking through and he is missing what God is doing in the nations, particularly in Nineveh. This is all from God's hand. Would we see that? In the Heidelberg Catechism, they ask the question, what do you understand by the providence of God? Here's the answer. God provides in his almighty and ever-present power, whereby as with his hands he upholds heaven and earth and all creatures, and so governs them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, indeed all things come not by chance, but by his fatherly hands. Oh, that Jonah would see that. Oh, that we would see that. And say, God, what are you doing in my life? What are you doing in the nations? What are you doing in this church? It can be hard to trust him in those hard and dark providences. When life is not like you planned, dreamed, or hoped, we get into like Jonah stuck in a booth in a house that he built that won't cut it. We can be like Jonah needing grace and mercy of God to cover him with the cool of the shade of a fast-growing plant out of his grace and mercy. And when God does it, we miss it. We're so busy wanting to see and not seeing what we want to see that we forget to seek what God is doing, not realizing that he can do far more than we can ask, think, or imagine. Jonah's stuck. Himself, he's stuck as he beholds the providences of God. He's he's stuck as he's wondering what God is doing. Instead of asking what God is doing, he's stuck on himself. What will happen to Jonah? We're not told, but from this book we can discover a few more things. So we're stuck there. Make feel stuck at times. And second point, how do we get out of the mud? How do we get out of the mud? How, how do we get back on mission with what God is doing? So this brings us to our next point. The way forward for Jonah, follow along with me here. And the way forward for you and me is to not get a, is not to get a list of steps or best practices. Here are seven ways you can get stuck out of, forget that. The way forward to life is to lift high the grace of God. 
Only then will the chains of your past, present, and future, only then will you be able to see the providences of God and the goodness of his fatherly hand. Only then will you arise and follow him. Will you trust in grace? Remember this, the, the thing that's going on in the book. I love your grace, O God, for me, but I hate when they get to taste and see that the Lord is good. So what will get us out of the mud is, is understanding the free grace of God. And basking in the free grace of God. What Jonah could not see was the grace of God upon his life, whether it was a, a whale or a weed or a worm or, or, or the wind to call him to himself. He couldn't see the grace that God is still talking to him, that God is still interacting with him. God is still asking him the question. God has not left him or forsaken him. He could not see it. And the book of Jonah is getting ourselves to ask the question, can we see the grace of God in our lives? the grace that he's bestowed upon us. So this is the main point of the whole book and the main point of our lives and everything. Do you love the grace of God? It's only grace that can save. It's only grace that can sustain. It's only grace that will motivate us. Grace, the giving of a blessing apart from earning a blessing. Let me say that again. Grace, the giving of a blessing apart from earning a blessing. That's what God has done for us. We have not earned it, but he's graciously given it to us. We have not earned salvation. We do not have a resume to say, here, look, Lord, will you take me now? It's all based upon the work of Christ. It's a free gift of grace. And apart from grace, you cannot be saved. This is what makes Christianity unique, by the way. All other religions of the world are worked base. In Christianity, there aren't good people and bad people. It's all grace. There's only saved people and unsaved people. Grace. Grace for Nineveh and grace for Jonah. Can't you see that you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good? That he's lavished his grace upon you. That's the only reason you're alive and here this morning. That's the only reason. Grace. Grace. God's grace. It's all grace all the way down. And until Jonah sees the depths of grace that God has bestowed upon his life, he will not have a heart for nations like Nineveh. The gospel of grace is the good news that our loving God, in an act of sheer grace, sent his son Jesus to live the sinless life we should have lived and accept as punishment for our sin the death that we would have died. Jesus died on the cross as a perfect, willing sacrifice in our place, he rose from the get dead in a living and glorified body to secure for us the promise of eternal life and our own future resurrection in a glorified state. The gospel is the announcement, the good news, that God saves sinners by his grace in the completed work, based upon the completed work, the finished work of Christ, apart from the sinner's merits. The gospel is the good news of what God has done for us. The gospel is not get to work, but it is finished. The blessing Jesus has earned is freely given to us by his grace. And we can turn from our sin and trust in Christ and Christ alone. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need his grace. And grace must be the final word in our lives. And so that when we encounter people who have yet to taste and see that the Lord is good, it will be the first words out of our mouths. Grace, grace, God's grace.
until we realize the power of grace and our need of grace, we will not be motivated by grace. Have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? Don't you want others to taste and see that the Lord is good so that we are not crippled by our looking for momentary comforts or crippled by our momentary afflictions, but that we want at all costs to see the grace of God extended to those who don't know their right hand from the left. That was the problem with Jonah. Grace for me, but not for thee. So the only thing that will get us unstuck, the only thing that will help us move forward is to be overwhelmed with the grace of God, to repeat the gospel in our lives over and over and over again. And only then will we have a concern for the condition of the world. So overwhelmed with grace, how do we get unstuck? Overwhelmed with grace and what God does in our heart, he will then give us a concern for the condition of the world. That's what God says at the end of this. And should I not pity Nineveh? that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. Don't you see the perishing world and all you're cared about is this perishing plant? I heard it said like this this week, that the greatest problem facing humankind is lostness. You could probably put something else in that place if you watch the news or watch your Twitter feed or whatever it might be. But the bottom line is that the greatest problem facing humanity is lostness. And Jonah couldn't see that. It's overwhelmed with himself. May that not be for us. And the only solution for humankind is is the gospel. Did you know that 59% of the world's population is considered unreached? 59% of the world's population have 2% or less evangelical Christians in their midst. 59% of the world's population. Did you know? We need to have a concern for this. Only the grace of God will give us a concern for this. We realize how good God has been to us. How he snatched us out of death, spit us out of the grave, and resurrected us to new life. Did you know that 157,690 people die every day without a relationship with Jesus? 157,690. Fill up the Superdome twice, and they die not knowing Jesus. Eternity apart from him. The Bible's clear about that. That means more than a Nineveh, 120,000, the Bible tells us, more than a Nineveh every day dies without hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. The only thing that will give us a concern is not hearing those numbers. Those, those numbers are concerning. We will be concerned about those numbers as we are overwhelmed with the grace that God has poured out on us. When we realize that Jonah, God has not called Israel to hoard the gospel, the good news, but to be a light to the nations. That God has called Riverside to be a light to the city, not to hoard the good news of the gospel. And what's God's plan to reach these folks? It's people. It's people like you and I. He could write it across the sky, but... He chooses to use saved people to bring the gospel to the nations. You and I, we have to go. My philosophy of church growth is gospel growth. Not business models or offering the right things, but telling the world the gospel of Jesus Christ and go where he says go. 
We will not be concerned about this number or concerned about this city or concerned about the right hand or from the left hand that the people don't know until we hear the gospel of grace. And we were concerned about the condition of the world. We will, like the Lord, have compassion, not only concern for their condition, but compassion for the very people that are in this condition. That's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 9. Let me read it to you real quick. Matthew chapter 9. And Jesus went out through all the cities and villaging, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw, this is Matthew chapter 9 at the end of it, when when he saw the crowds, the people, he had compassion upon them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord for the har- for, to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. If we see the condition of the world, which the Lord is telling, look at the verse 11, they don't know their right from the left. Then we will have compassion as our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ does. And we will have pity and we will tell them about the God of grace who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And he gives that odd question. And what about the cattle? That's a weird way to end the book, Right? That's a really weird way to end the book. What about the cattle? The Lord is calling Jonah out. At this point, you don't care about the people. Can I at least get you to care about the cattle? You care about a plant? Maybe if I can get you to care a little bit about the resources of the city, then you will see the absurdity of where you are and you will care about the people. Perhaps if you can get Jonah, he's prodding Jonah, calling Jonah, don't you care? Think of New Orleans. If God were to judge this city, God forbid, with a catastrophic flood and wipe us out, would you care more about the culture, the food, the superdome, the streetcars, or would you cry out to God for the people? What do we care? So don't you care about those resources, that, that lovely, all those lovely cattle they have? Yeah, they have much use, those cattle. You can feed people and clothe people. That's but I created them, and I love them. The hard truth is that sometimes it's the people that are the last thing we think or care about. It's our programs or our comforts or whatever it might be. But what about the people? Even in our everyday lives, we're so busy getting stuff done that we miss the people that God puts in our path. The people, the harvest that he has called you to go to. And he's putting those opportunities in front of you. And me too, by the way. I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching at myself as well, by the way. So... Don't think that I have all this figured out. We see people as pawns in our game rather than people that the Lord desires to save. This is good and it's pleasing in the sight of our God who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. If we see the grace of God and concern for the condition of the people, we will have compassion like our Christ For the people who says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. We will show them that Christ by the way that we love them. Third thing, fourth thing, I don't know how many I'm on at this point. That will get us stuck. See the grace, the concern, the compassion. Let me give you a fourth thing, I guess it is. How to get stuck, unstuck individually and corporately. We have to tell them. We have to be committed to evangelism. I have a meeting tomorrow, by the way, at PJ's. You can be praying for that at 11 o'clock for um, something called 411 training that I'm, I'm hoping will be a catalyst for our congregation to learn how to share the gospel 
with our neighbors. So hopefully you'll see that training come soon. We have to be committed to telling them. We have to be committing to to going. And we are in some ways. We give to missions. You give to the Lottie Moon offering. I hope some of you have given to that. We've given, you know, three, four, five thousand dollars to that just about every year. And because of that, over 3,500 missionaries are supported around the world from your giving and other money we give outside of this church. Because of your giving, 592,000 plus people have heard the gospel. Over 22,000 new churches have been planted last year. Over 176,000 new believers came to Christ last year. 107,000 people were baptized. And 93 new people groups and places were engaged. And 182,000 plus received leadership training. Because of partly of the money you give to support missionaries all around the world. And we're committed to that. There's no cost too great. The, the great missionary William Carey said, I will go into India, I will go in the pits, people, if you will hold the rope for me. And we've done that. We're, we're holding the rope for missionaries that are all around the world in that way. And you'll have an opportunity on Wednesday, August 6th, to, 6th to, to hear from a missionary. We can ask, how, how can we help hold the rope for you? And how can he hold the rope for us? And and how can we go there and here and everywhere? We must be committed and not sit in the comfort of our booths and our homes waiting to see what God will do. We've got to get on mission with God and we must go. We must have compassion. And as the Lord says, how do we respond? Pray. Pray that the God of the harvest will send you workers into the harvest field, into the fields of harvest, confident in God's purposes to save. Do you believe God saved sinners by his grace? He did you, didn't he? Do you believe God still wants other people in in River Ridge and Louisiana and the United States of America and all around the world to still hear the gospel of Jesus Christ where there are 60% are unreached? Don't we want to, for, for them to hear the gospel, don't we want to hold the rope and be a part? And don't we know that you know that God saves, right? And he's still saving people from every tribe, people like Nineveh who don't know their right from the left. Have you seen a confused world that doesn't know morality from, from a hole in the ground? Have you, have you seen that? God desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of him that God would open their eyes and see the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they would put their eyes on Christ, a better Jonah, who did not run from God's plan, but God's perfect prophet who spoke the very words of God, who didn't flee, but for the joy set before him, went to the cross, enduring our sin and shame, and he conquered sin and death, and he overwhelmed the grave so much so that the grave could not hold him, but it spit him out. And he lives and reigns gloriously forever. Now by God's grace we fear not. We sit under the cool of his grace. And no worm, not even death itself, can snatch us from under the shelter of his grace. Don't you want the world to experience that? I do. I'm longing for that. So Jonah ends. No, I need to wrap up now. With that weird thing and much cattle... But let me leave you with this. Jonah also leaves with a, with a question mark. Did you notice that about this book? That fr- the strange phrase, uh, and, and much cattle, it ends with the question mark. We don't, we don't know what happens to Jonah. We don't know if he rejoiced in what has ha- happened. In we, we don't know what God did in his life at that point. 
We know that God was a wonderful counselor and kept prodding Jonah and asking him and calling him, Jonah, shouldn't I care? Shouldn't you care for these people? Will Jonah get on with God's mission? Causing us to ask the question, the question mark. Will you, will we get on with God's mission? We, will we make our lives solely about making the grace of God known in this city and beyond? And maybe you've never trusted in the grace of God this morning. That would be the first place to start. Saying, God, I need your grace. Apart from you, I can do nothing. And maybe that's you this morning that you need to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ that the Spirit is working in your life and calling you to himself. Uh, Repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. He will save you. He's promised all who repent and trust in him, all who call upon the name of Jesus will be saved. So maybe that's where you need to start this morning. And just as God in his compassion and his grace called out and questioned Jonah, he calls out and questioned us this morning Should we not pity with compassion a world that's lost and dying without Christ? Maybe you remember this old hymn, We have a story to tell the nations that shall turn their hearts to the right. A story of truth and mercy, a story of peace and light. For the darkness shall turn to dawning and the dawning to noonday bright. And Christ's great kingdom shall come to earth, the kingdom of love and light. We have a song to be sung to the nations that shall lift their hearts to the Lord. A song that shall conquer all evil and shatter the spear and the sword. We have a message to give to the nations that the Lord who reigns above has sent his son to save us and to show us that God is love. Brothers and sisters, the question remains, will we go to the nations? Will we hear the call of the Lord and Jonah and say, yes, Lord, we care and we love because you first loved us? Let's pray.